You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Please, for lack of a better word, it's good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up! Welcome to Money Never Sleeps. This is a show where we tackle the topics that impact the flow of money from public to private companies to global industries, politics, and events. We touch on everything on this show. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the month of September, and this is the last day of September, the month of September has been very interesting. Uh, we got the news that BlackBerry was on the ropes, that Apple blew away the street with the numbers of the iPhone 5S sales, and the big news in the world of social media was that the social media giant Twitter has filed, filed for their IPO. And this is a highly anticipated IPO as investors, honestly, they had a horrific experience with the Facebook IPO. So this, uh, obviously, uh, they've learned something from, from it, we hope. Uh, no one can argue the point that although the beginning steps of Facebook in the, uh, in the public markets was a little rough, a little rough for them. Uh, they are just beginning to show the investment community what their true value is to the world, and it's getting interesting uh, going from a low of uh, 18 to where it's at today, over 50. You know, um, in my opinion, they're just getting warmed up because this industry is very young and there are a lot of things going on. Uh, now, is Twitter going to have a better organized IPO day? I would say definitely as the bankers and exchanges have learned their lessons, but uh, it's highly doubtful, in my opinion anyway, that they'll achieve the, the heights of success that Facebook has and uh, what they're doing. So, But only time will tell. You know, that's just my opinion. Uh, now, I said uh, that that is some big news, but the really, really big news is a potential government shutdown that's set to happen in just under, well, under five hours from now. Uh, hearing from President Obama just about, what, about 90 minutes ago or so. Uh, this seems like more of a reality than a guessing game. But before I go get too far into anything, I want to bring on my very special guest. Uh, he's someone that has his hand on the pulse of the market. Uh, please join me in welcoming the managing principal of Starlight Investments and co-founder of the Private Equity Conference in New York, Brian Emerson. Brian, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. How are you? Hey, Lou. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. You do a, you do a great job. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it's always great having you on. And, and actually, it's kind of our anniversary, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, it's been a little <laughs> while. Uh, after uh, the whole thing with Sandy, that uh, really, really uh, hit a lot of people hard. That was unfortunate. Yeah, 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 and then you came on. <laughs> we had the show on the exact day that it hit, and that was the last time we had you on. I think we have to have you on a little more often because uh, you have a lot of input to give in regards to the markets, especially when it comes to you know gold, the U.S. dollar, global markets, and what's going on. Uh, so, I mean, let, let's let's get into it. You know, uh, let, let's talk about gold. 
Sure, Lou. You know, it, it seems to me I've come up with uh, eight reasons, and I'm sure your listeners probably have a lot more, of why the U.S. dollar is slipping as the world reserve currency. And I think that's going to mean gold has only one way to go, uh, and that's up. And let me throw out a couple of them and, and jump in if you want to expand on more of these. But, you know, one is the pricing of oil is, is not completely in dollars as it has been since the 70s. You know, Iran has gotten in and has taken um, gold and, and some barter, and uh, that's going to hurt the dollar and help gold. Two, there are more bilateral agreements. You know, Russia and China are now doing a lot of trade and energy um, in their own currencies and uh, not using the dollar. Three, there's a recognition of gold and, and silver as a currency. Look what Utah recently passed. Their uh, legal tender is now accepting those two as, uh, as, as currency. Uh, four, we've seen an increase in physical gold holdings in the East and a decline in the West. A lot of this money is, a lot of the gold seems to be moving from, from the West uh, to the East, and, and I think the East is finding a, a real bargain there. Five is the manipulation of paper metals markets. The GATA investigations have really shed light on uh, what are the banks doing, what is Wall Street doing to try to suppress uh, some of the commodities, gold and silver, and, and trying to keep the dollar up. Six, can I, countries... Can I, can, I, can I touch before you go to six? I, I just wanna you bet. Jump in. For a second. I just, I just sure. have a question just to get your opinion on it. You know, the ETF, ETF market, you know, they have, they've, had, had a, they've had an impact on on various commodities, um, and it's just even on, on markets. You know, do you think that gold, being where it is right now, do you think that that's partially due to the fact of the uh, ETF trading on it? Absolutely. <clears throat> I think there. Uh, again, I'm 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 not the world's expert in this, but it sounds to me as though there's a lot of naked short selling going on that's suppressing the price, and uh, and that's that's not good for the price of gold in the long run if you're a gold bug. Now, do you think that what's, I mean, I guess, let me ask you this, you know, gold, U.S. dollar, global markets, you know, what do you think is actually pushing, like, a, a state like Utah to accept gold as currency? You know, that wasn't always the case, you know, it's, it was always it, during the Nixon administration. I think it was then that they uh, took us off the gold standard. In August of 71, that's correct. And I think more and more states and individuals and countries are realizing that, you know, the average life of a fiat currency is 40 years, and it's been 42 years since we've come off the gold standard. And, you know, time's about up historically. And do you think that uh, people are losing confidence in what, you know, with the fiascos that are happening here in the States? I think many are. Now, it's a very, very small percentage of the population, but look at the U.S. mint sales over the last year or so. They've been completely sold out. People can't get enough, uh, you know, uh, gold and silver coins. So I think that bodes well. And once more people catch on and institutions and, and the momentum builds and that trust uh, d decreases in the dollar and in this fiat system, uh, again, I think the demand is only going to go up. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because gold, I think, was down a little bit today. I, I've been, you know, you know, following it and involved in it, you know, when when gold was at, what, $400 an ounce. And uh, look at it now. You know, yeah, I think and China and Russia and the East see that there's a gold sale going on right now because of some of these manipulations in the paper markets, and they want to get all the physical they can. Well, you have to cut. At some point in time, you're going to have to cover you know, and if you're shorting, 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 even you know, on the paper shorts, 
you know, if you get called on stuff, you, you actually have to cover this. Well, that's right, and it could be in paper money, which can be printed, or it can be in physical, and someday if the physical doesn't exist in the vaults and, the, and uh, people find out that the emperor has no clothes, that's going to cause a real loss of faith real quickly. No, I agree with you because, look, you know, you know, years ago, before ETFs, you know, if you if you sure you could you could have shorted gold if you did that, you know, you could have bought the options on that, the puts, right? And you go and you do that, and uh, you know, if, if things went the wrong way, you would have to cover that, right? You'd have to come up and with of course, commodity. But that's right, and we know that the paper markets are trading many times the multiples of the physical markets. There's no way that you could uh, that you have the physical to back up all of the paper trading, and so it's much easier to manipulate the, the paper markets. Yeah, and it's interesting. You would think that people uh, out there, you know, the, the banking community, uh, the governments, that they would learn from what happened with uh, the mortgage fiasco and <laughs> what transpired there. You know, um, it's crazy. Well, you know, you would think that there would have been some prosecutions, that there would have been some real laws either implemented or enforced. But, you know, maybe what they learned is they could get away with it. And here's well, another bubble to exploit, possibly. Yeah, well, you know, when one door closes, two other open, and you, if there's an opportunity for someone to do something, they're, they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, look at what yep. was happening to Chase right now. Yep, yep. I think it's a very interesting time to be following this stuff. Um, I know we'll talk later about the, this, this government shutdown concept. That uh, instills less trust in the system. So, you yep. know, we're going from a time of, of relative stability, perhaps before 2008, to a much more volatile time. Yeah, I, I think I think I have to agree with you on that. You know, the volatility is, is high. That's what I, and I, and, I and the, the traders and the investment <laughs> banks are going to make money on volatility, and those of us that are savers and holders uh, are are going to get the short end of the stick. Yeah, the funny thing is the VIX, the volatility, uh, another another created uh, uh, deal where you know the the uh, big uh, investment banks they actually make money on that. They make money. On yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's go on to number six. Sure. Number six is uh, countries are demanding repatriation of their gold. You know, it started with Venezuela. When Germany wanted their gold, they were told it would take seven years to get. And other countries are starting to realize, let's bring this stuff home. I think that's important. Yeah. Well, um, I, I number seven. Go ahead. Before you go to number seven, I just want to touch point by point because I sure. think uh, your, your list is, is very interesting. Um, yeah, with, with gold, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, we, you have... You have for years, you know, uh, going back, I think, you know, 2002, 2003, you know, when people started, you know, seeking out gold, and they started seeking out gold after 9-11, you know, as a safe haven. And right. uh, basically, um, you know, a lot of people really didn't realize when they were selling, and, and, and this I find interesting, when they were selling gold to, like, India, mm -hmm. okay, I mean, in some crazy world, people probably thought that that gold would recirculate, you know, but all the gold that was sold to India, in India, they do not sell gold. It's against, right. their, it's against their culture and law to do that. So right. a lot of the, that gold is staying put, so whatever is out there is, is going to wind up staying there. So it's just it's just interesting that uh, the, the, the hoarding of the gold 
there. Now, do you think? Do you think? Uh, were you going to say something, Brian? Yeah, I was. And I, let me let me give you a counterpoint to that, a possible counterpoint, and that is there's some speculation that the recent raid on the uh, Indian currency, the rupee, which has really thrown uh, you know India into some financial straits, and they're needing to bolster the rupee, and therefore they might ask the IMF for a loan. What's the collateral? Well, they've got lots of gold. And so maybe there's a way there for the IMF or uh, certain banks or institutions to recapture some of that Indian gold at a real haircut. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but there could be some recycling, not in the way India would, would like or want or could have envisioned. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. One thing I do know that uh, just a few days ago that they implemented uh, a digital currency. They, they're looking to go digital. Yep. And that's interesting, you know, because yep. that can give them new life potentially if they get it done the proper way. And, right. Uh, that that would be, you know, um, really, really interesting, especially with all the controversy with Bitcoin and everything that has transpired with that, you know. Well, um, and that's a perfect segue into my seventh point, which is, you know, we're starting to see more competing types of currencies, but yet the you know, the Federal Reserve and the powers that be are trying to suppress them. You mentioned Bitcoin. You know, there are a lot of alternative local currencies. Uh, some have set up to maybe as many as 200 in the U.S. right now, very in very small amounts in, in local communities. But, you know, the hope is that those will grow and uh, we can diversify and have a little bit more of an insurance policy against just the, just the dollar and uh, that we'll have a real choice. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because if you look, uh, I believe, is it the Constitution? I, I think it may be, you know, but there, there, there's something in there that states that you cannot uh, have, in uh, in the United States, you cannot have uh, a separate currency. And, and, and that was interesting when I found out about that. Right. Those are the legal tender laws, uh, you know, that go back to a Supreme Court decision, I think, in the 1800s. Um, and... You know, we're those of us in in kind of the the, the real money camp uh, are stuck with those laws uh, right now. Unfortunately, um, you know what we're seeing these days would have been treasonous. Uh, you know, when the writers of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights came out with uh, with how they envisioned America should be, uh, you know, governed and run. Yeah, I mean, any anything new always gets trampled on. Any 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 road that's paved. You you always get an influx of things falling on top of it, but once that road is paved, then others will follow. So yep. uh, I, I think that you know at some point in time they're going to have to make adjustments because you know with the way the world is connecting now with social media and just the easy connection from one person to, to the other, that uh, I think that if they don't make adjustments, that you know you you can have a revolt. Right. Well, and again, the last point here, this increase in printing and the increase in the Fed balance sheet from less than a billion dollars, I think, in uh, 2008 to around $4 billion now um, is indicative of, uh, you know, we're diluting the money supply. Uh, I'm not sure that inflation is being calculated uh, correctly when you look at something like shadowstats.com. Um, there are several ways to measure inflation, and especially since we've been taking out, uh, you know, food and energy, I don't know that we're seeing the true level of inflation. 
And I, again, I think all that's going to decrease confidence in the dollar and increase demand for gold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's it's an interesting time because I believe that you know you're you're right. When confidence starts to slip, um, people are going to look for alternatives. They're yeah. not going to sit there and wait. They're going to try to figure something out. You know, look, you know, before uh, they developed the currency, even in this country, you know, what 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 was happening? They were trading. Right. This for that, or this for the other thing, you know. Right. But you had different forms of currency, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that that would, that would be really interesting. Um, well, and I think one of the things that came out of Sandy, or that you know came out of, have come out of other uh, natural uh, uh, disasters recently, has been the idea of becoming a little bit more prepared. You know, even FEMA pr- produces a good list of uh, things that you ought to do to be prepared. And whereas they're not saying diversify out of the dollar and get gold, they are saying, you know, what happens if the ATMs don't work? I mean, have some cash on hand, have some extra food and water, have, you know, the basics. So that if something does happen and you need a, a couple days for, for things to get straightened out, you're going to be okay. Obviously, if there were to be, you know, major disruptions uh, such as, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen with this uh, uh, government uh, sh- shutdown. Uh, yeah. If this goes on for some amount of time, you know, that can really destroy trust and uh, people's uh, support networks are going to evaporate uh, or could evaporate if, if things get uh, really bad and prolonged. So. Yeah, I think everybody needs to to think a little bit more about what they need to do just uh, to get ready in case of any kind of disaster or emergency. Well, it's all precautionary because you you don't know. You know, it's just just like you know people. Uh, what was it in the in the uh, the forties or fifties? Mm-hmm. They built bomb shelters to get, right. to get prepared. You know, they're doing it now. A matter of fact, uh, yep. they're, they're building these, but they get you know it's being prepared. You know, ha- having well, having your 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 things in in order just. Right. And of course, in this country and in in a lot of the, uh, you know, Western world, we've prided ourselves in our increases in productivity and efficiency uh, in the business world. And that's great. And we've certainly been more productive and efficient. But the other side of that coin is resiliency. If, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you're doing things so efficiently and just in time, uh, you have no resiliency. If your system teeters, or, uh, you know, uh, become subject to some kind of disaster emergency, there is no plan B. And I think right. more and more people are thinking about what do we need to do for plan B just in case. And it costs money, but yeah. it, 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 would, it would provide more resiliency and a backup. Yeah, well, I mean, just, just going back to Sandy, you know, when everything happened there, if, if people were prepared, you know, for that, you know, I think they may have uh, – I mean, it's hard to say, but maybe they would have been better, um, um, better prepared for, yeah. for what was what was to come. Uh, right. But again, even you can be as prepared as, as as you need to be, but you never know what's going to happen. But you have to try, and that plan B, I, I think, is very important. Right. Absolutely. But uh, let me let me ask you this now, with with. Um, because you deal with uh, the public and private sector, um, and, and I, I'm just curious on your your experiences so far. You know, uh, with what's going on with with Obamacare and everything that's transpiring. Do you find that um, that that looming, the Obamacare looming, 
Do you, do you feel that that is bringing more uh, private companies to wanting to go public, or more, you know, private companies looking to sell to private equity? Well, you know, I I don't know that I can draw any conclusions yet about the effect of Obamacare on financing in the U.S., other than to say that companies are having to spend more money to comply. Um, You know, they're looking for ways to reduce their out-of-pocket and their costs uh, overall. Uh, A lot of them that I've talked to have said either we're going to hire more part-timers instead of full-timers or we're not going to hire more at all or we're going to give people a small payout and let them go to the exchanges and get their own health care. So I think they're seeing that as a cost center, and, of course, any cost center increases the cost of, uh, of you know, decreases the amount of, of, of money available at, at the end of the term and, um, you know, raises, raises the cost of doing business. So I, I don't know that it's going to, you know, stop people from going public. I think there are much bigger trends out there um just in general the growth of the federal government you know there's a lot more regulation there's a lot more uh, cost there are a lot more taxes on small to medium-sized businesses that are in the process of forming their capital versus you know biggest big companies that are already public and so uh you know as they look at their different costs uh, we, we went through that whole cycle some years ago with Sarbanes-Oxley. That was a big shock to the system. And we saw a lot more companies go public on the AIM in London than in the U.S. And then after that, we saw some companies go public in Hong Kong. And uh, so, you know, companies are going to look for the lowest cost of capital. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that it's not going to be the U.S. in the long term. Sure, the Fed has been able to go on its QE and suppress rates. But I, I don't know how long that can go on, and uh, I think that that's hurting capital formation in the U.S. Uh, for you know small and medium-sized companies. Well, no, look, I think that if you get if you get an injury to your leg and you're bleeding profusely and you put a tourniquet on there, it's only going to last so long. It's not a permanent solution. You have to get some type of help, and yep. you know. What 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 uh, I mean, what the Fed's doing? They're keeping everything alive and keeping confidence high. But yeah, I, I have to say that you know, it's once they pull that plug, once they they take you know the the markets off the nipple, uh, we're gonna have a nice reality check. Right, and you know, listen, we've been so lucky over the past few generations to have great health care in the U.S although some of it's not been affordable. And I'm certainly a proponent of, you know, preventive medicine and and clinics. You know, we've got a a trillion-dollar-a-year deficit. So how are we going to fill the gap and what are we going to cut back on? There has to be some belt tightening at some point in uh, Washington, either voluntarily or the markets are going to impose it. And, uh, you know, it just seems like we're adding costs to health care when we can't afford it. But... I know yeah. there are many other areas that we need to attack, too, and I'm sure that w- with these exchanges supposedly starting tomorrow, uh, we're going to find some case studies over the next year that are going to help give us some information as to whether uh, we can afford these costs or not. No, I agree with that. You know, I mean, the, these entitlement programs, you know, you, you have it's, – it's, it's crazy because they, they don't uh, – this administration, they don't want to cut back. They want to add on to it. So how can you keep adding on more debt, more debt, more debt? 
and you're not giving companies, let's say a company like Apple, if you made the incentives so great that would allow them to manufacture things here, it would create jobs and you would have commerce and then we would have a lot of things going on. You know, and I think that you have a deterrent. Right. Yeah, I mean, clearly over the last uh, two administrations, it's been both Republicans and Democrats that have increased spending a lot, you know, between foreign wars of convenience and social programs. We as taxpayers are asked to to fund a whole lot more, and I don't see that slowing down, uh, but it's going to have to one way or another. And so we're going to need some new approaches to governing and new approaches to the market and um, I, I don't know who is going to uh, uh, take those reins in the future, but I, I just don't see it being sustainable. Something's going to have to give. And, yeah, and I would certainly love for you know Congress to get its act together and do a controlled slowdown uh, instead of things that uh, would scare the market. You know, the Fed talks about taper some months ago, and now they're not going to taper. Well, how can you plan for that long term in in finance or in any other way if you're not hearing signals that uh that are being implemented or or that are not uh able to continue. So we need we need some new thinking in, so, in you Washington. You know it's funny you just spent, you you were just speaking about plan B. You know, there has to be a plan B here. There has to be something. Okay, and, and you just can't cuz if they pull the plug everything's going to get shaken, and that doesn't help the economy. That doesn't help small business. That doesn't help too much. You know, right. um, I, I look at, you know, you have General Motors and Ford, and you have other car companies, auto companies that are, you know, manufacturing. They're manufacturing overseas. Okay, yep. they, they they shut some of their plants here. You know, look at Detroit. I mean, it's, it's bankrupt. Yep. You know, yep, how, absolutely. how is that able to happen? Well, you know, uh, there's certainly, you know, decades there of, of over-promising and under-fulfilling, um, and I don't know all those details, but I am seeing more and more small businesses become more more uh, independent. Yeah, I'm seeing more barter. I'm seeing more, you know, companies that have assets trying to increase the utilization of them by sharing them or renting them out or leasing them. Um, you know, even in such things as agriculture, there are a lot of young people that are attracted to agriculture, and they're either leasing land or borrowing land or using plots of land to grow more food, and that's, you know, that's not happened in the past. Most people have wanted to go out and borrow a lot of money and, you know, buy a, a lot of tractors and develop uh, a big piece of land and, 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 you know, buy it and put a mortgage on it, and then when the first down come. Uh, hits, then all that stuff gets taken away. So I think uh, small businesses are, are getting uh, agile and uh, creative and, and trying to do more things collaboratively, not relying on the government as much. Um, but it's it's going to take a whole uh, change of mentality and a, and a of generation. I think the young kids coming up see that these entitlement programs are not going to last. They're never going to collect on them, and so they need to do things more themselves that are, uh, you know, outside of, of the system that maybe you and I grew up in. And, and I think that's really positive, and I think that could help, you know, save the U.S. Well, I, I think that is that is definitely positive. You know, I just hear a lot of uh, ramblings from, you know, kids that are in college, that are grad, that graduated college, and they can't find a job. 
and that that kind of that disturbs me a little bit because you, you know, being if you have an education, there should be some opportunity out there for you. You know, and we do have you know we do have an entrepreneurial spirit here in the U.S. and thankfully we do because that allows us to bounce up because we're 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 resilient. We can yep. fight back and bounce back. You know, right. but I think that. Like, as far as not being dependent on the government, I agree with that. But at yep. the same time, you know, the government cannot suppress the growth of small business, and that's something that has, that's gonna, that, that has been happening. Even though they say they're helping, you know, you, you have to get out of the way and let them grow. Right. You yeah, know? and so, you know, we're seeing the rise of some of these trends, and they're being described by authors such as Charles Eisenstein or Chris Martinson or others that are identifying these trends where, you know, one one um, uh, saying that you hear is there's no such thing as unemployment on the farm. There's lots of work to be done. And I think I think whether, you know, people are doing more in agriculture, which we're seeing with young people, or they're finding ways to use assets better, like turning office buildings into you know, multifamily dwellings or looking at other assets within cities, towns, and communities that instead of being operated, you know, a couple hours a day by by one owner are trying to say, how could we use this more efficiently? Look at, for instance, uh, you know, uh, power. Uh, I think we're all reliant on the three big uh, grids in the U.S. And, you know, personally with me and my family, we've gone to solar and wind with battery backup. We feel yeah. great not having to pay anything to the the power company and realizing that if the power goes off, we need to go out and charge the batteries. It's very liberating, and I think that there's going to be more resiliency uh, and a better use of, of uh, more intelligent use of the resources out there. I mean, we've got incredible resources in this country, and uh, we could be using them better. And and I think some of these uh, some of these case studies that the authors are bringing up are starting to show ways that that's happening, especially with younger people that are gone through school. Maybe they have a lot of student debt. They have no choice. They've got to find a way to increase the utilization of, of what they've got and, and make do with, with what relatively little they've been given. Yeah, I, I 100%, 1,000% agree with you, and I commend you on, on what you guys have done, your family has done. You know, and it's interesting. It reminds me of Steve Jobs. Uh, I think it was maybe two months before he passed away. He went in front of the Cupertino uh, uh, Community Board and yeah. what he was what he was promoting. And it was really interesting. I don't think a lot of people saw this, but what he wanted to do is build this gigantic facility and have parks and all this stuff. And he said the biggest thing that he wanted to do, he didn't want to make the grid his main power source, he wanted to make all the alternative energy, solar, this, that, and make that their main source and the grid a backup just in case. Right. You know, right. If you had more companies that were looking to do things like that, I think it would help a lot. Yep. Again, distributed energy is not going to help with the efficiency. Probably the large energy producers are always going to be the efficient choice. But when we're talking resiliency and uh you know how you how you come back quickly in the face of a disaster or a downturn it's always the local solution i think that's going to win uh yep. and as the price of solar panels have, have come down that is uh, is really changing the equation and my wife writes a blog about you know life 
off-grid. And, uh, you know, she's got a lot of followers because people are very curious about how do you do this? How do you try to make the transition? And so it's very exciting to see, uh, you know, people being more aware, if nothing else, of of what they can do to be empower themselves and and uh, disconnect a little bit from the system that might or might not be there for the rest of their lives. Exactly. I think I need to have your wife on the show so we can have a whole segment on that. I think a lot of people would want to hear about it, you know, because the late Larry Hagman, he he believed in this. He had solar panels all over his house, and he had everything over there, and he was actually selling energy to the city. Wow, that's great. Because he he was one of the pioneers with that. He made sure everything was, you know, you had natural energy. And he did that, and it was it was really you know it's really good to hear from you that uh, your family is doing this because hopefully more and more people do it. And you're right, you know, if and, and this a natural disaster hits, if you have your own energy supply, you're going to be okay. You, you I mean, right. you, you may be you may you may lose power for a minute, but it's not going to be you, you it's not going to be for a long period of time. You know, look at here in New York. What transpired? You have people that still have no power a year later. Yep. Yep. That's yep. insanity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and again, even like we talked about with Hurricane Sandy, people are being more aware. Well, let's let's put a couple days of water aside. You know, let's put a little bit of food aside. Let's let's just build our reserves a little bit more. Um, you know, I realize not everybody's going to be able to get off the grid. But if they can be a little bit more resilient and independent, that's going to help their quality of life. Uh, and and yes, it's it, it's not as efficient. It costs them a little bit of money. But look, we buy insurance with the hope that we never have to use it, right? Right, right. And and this is why you know I look at uh, Elon Musk and what he's done with Tesla, and yeah. what he continues to do. And I you know I think what's going to wind up happening is that when you know when they figure out, and I and I believe I, I was I was um, reading something not too long ago. And they were taking an energy source, and I forget what it did. It did something with electrons, a proton, but the thing was about a city block long. And they took all that energy from that city block long uh, pipe, and they fit it in a little uh, in a little speck that fit on your finger. It had the same amount of energy. So right. if they could do something like that, once they figure that out with the uh, with the cells and they and the uh, the electric cars. I think that that's going to be uh, the wave of the future. Well, and remember, the first, if I, if I remember correctly, I believe the first commercially produced electric car came out in 1916 by Ford. I saw mm-hmm. one yesterday. And, you know, so what's happened over the last 100 years? How did we lose sight of that? And it had battery technology that we've had up to a couple years ago. So, yeah, you're carrying around a whole bunch of batteries. But back then, when the cars came out, there were prohibitions about, you know, the gas-fired cars that would backfire scaring the horses uh, and that they were, you know, had certain speed limits and all this. And uh, the first people that bought electric cars were able to uh, to do just fine. They had a range of 65 to 100 miles. I think they went 20-something miles per hour. So for someone getting around town, and for a lot of towns 100 years ago, there probably weren't a lot of roads to go on. Um, you know, isn't it a shame that we haven't, we don't have a hundred years of improvements in the electric car? But you know, again, some things were sidelined and and we're rediscovering. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have my opinions on that as well. You know, 
basically it, it, no, there was no profit in it. There was profit in gas. There was profit in oil. There was profit in, in those resources. That's when you you had the the, uh, the what the the, uh, the Morgans and the Mellons and the Carnegies and the, all these people uh, that that actually ran. You know, while the natural resources, the oil company, like Standard Oil, you know, if if you had electric cars, you know, what would be the profit in gas? Right. I mean, surely that it it must have been more efficient, mm-hmm. if not if if not, um, you know, better for 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 these other reasons of resiliency to to mm-hmm. go with gas and oil. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, with gas prices. Uh, up until fairly recently, within the last few years, you know, gas was was cheap and available and easy to get, and it made sense to do urban sprawl and have, you know, drive a long ways between home and work. But you know, that's changing as the gas price goes up. A lot of people talk about peak cheap oil, and you know, are those days of the long commute coming to an end? And uh, you know, what do we need to do to to go on to the next uh, phase of our uh, development or or just try to maintain a standard of living and uh electricity you know electric cars might be a part of that yeah you know look i i think that if if musk or anyone else you know would have created and instead tried to push how he's pushing now the electric car you know to say twenty years ago, I think yeah. it would have been even further difficult and i think and again this is my opinion, I think uh-huh. a lot that has to do with it you know, is the Internet and how information it flows so easily, how you have the the public. Joe yeah. Public has an opinion, and guess what? If you, you can be anywhere in the world and you're going to hear that opinion if you want to because social media pushes it out. So it's yeah. hard to suppress, you know, the, these, these uh, people that are creating, these creative people trying to create things. And, 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 and in my opinion... You know, uh, having an electric car and having solar panels on your house creates a better quality of life. You're doing a service to the rest of the world. Right. That's right. And we haven't even talked about, you know, emissions and, you know, what does that do possibly to the environment? Because we know that in many cases, uh, you know, the environment is in trouble around the world. And I- I'm I'm not suggesting that 100% of that is, is human uh, human-centered, but... You know, we are uh, a lot lower on resources, uh, you know, look at fish in the ocean uh, and different things than we were years ago, but yet population is at an all-time high. You know, are those two things going to collide at some point? What happens when we add another few billion people in the next few years? You know, how and where are they going to get the resources to to eat and maintain themselves? So, you know, there's some some dangerous trends conflicting here, and and I certainly don't uh, have the answers to how those go, but let me go back to Elon Musk one more second and just say that I'm not as 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 an exciting proponent of his Hyperloop that he's proposing for this kind of electrified high speed train in California when it's competing against another very expensive uh, project for high speed train in California. And quite frankly, I think we'd be better as a society to have slower speed if it would be cheaper and help get people and goods move from point A to point B. I don't know that the speed is is going to be that important um, at, at this level of, of energy prices uh, when you're really just trying to, to to move basic goods back and forth. Uh, I think that would benefit uh, you know more people in our economy in general than trying to get a few people from point A to B quicker. But 
I, I agree with that. That hyper loop, you know, uh, honestly, just scares the crap out of me. You know, to go in a yeah. tube, you're going, I think it was 400 miles an hour? <laughs> Some huge number, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. You know, but again, you know, speed isn't, you know, the only thing. You know, yeah. I think that, that that's the beginning phase. That's the idea. Yeah. And then he lets it out there, and then people come in, and they try to make it better. And yeah. That, that, that's one of the great things there, because I, I don't think he, when he did that, I don't think he was doing it for profit. He was just yeah. doing it to, to do it and to get people to see it and say, okay, this works. Yeah. You know what? Let's make it better. Maybe it doesn't have to go that fast. Maybe we yeah. can do it a different way, and you're making some good points there, and hopefully, you know, that that'll happen. Uh, right. Because the, the guy has a lot of great, great innovative ideas. You know, they call him the, the Tony Stark, the real Tony Stark, you know, uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. But before we uh, we touch on, you know, any more energy uh, topics and uh, technology topics, what I want to do, if, if we can speak about, you know, what's going on with Starlight Investments, because we haven't really gotten into that, and I want our listeners to to get a good feel of what you guys are doing there, because you're doing some great things. You have a, a lot of a lot of situations that you have going on, so if we can go into that, that'd be great. You bet, sure. Well, you know, I think one of the um, things that we do uh, publicly is we host these conferences in New York at the Yale Club five times a year through our sister company, Starlight Capital, and all that's described at events.starlightcapital.com. The next one coming up is November 21st. And it's very exciting for us that we talk to hundreds of entrepreneurs to get the 15 that are going to present to about 150 investors there. And it's really exciting to see some of the trends, some of the optimism, uh, you know, some of the methods that these uh, early-stage entrepreneurs are using to help get their companies to the next level and, and you know, survive in, in some times that are going to be very different than, than the ones in which you and I grew up in. So, um, so that's, that's exciting, and hopefully uh, you and some of your listeners will join us on the, on the 21st of November for that. Um, that's, that's, that's something that, that's exciting to see. We describe that on the website. And, and again, it allows us to look at some of these uh, trends and see some new, new ideas that are coming out. Uh, I think we're also uh, looking into the whole crowdfunding model and the JOBS Act. I, I know there's still some regulation that's uh, not uh, completely uh, uh, finalized out there. You know, we are able to do uh, more mass marketing for investments uh, than, than we've ever been able to do through that. But I think uh, that uh, when and if crowdfunding uh, gets finalized, it'll be an exciting uh, opportunity for more people to participate in democratic markets instead of uh, being confined by choices that Wall Street sets. So I'm hoping that between the crowdfunding online and what we're doing face-to-face uh, gives more people the opportunity to get involved in exciting things. And, and uh, granted, there's risks in, uh, in early-stage opportunities. Uh, not every opportunity is appropriate for every potential investor, but I think uh, the idea of having more choice is, um, is something very much in keeping with, with our democracy and our values, and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get all those uh, regulations nailed down shortly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me ask you a question, Brian. Now, going back to the crowd, the crowdfunding. You know, even though the Jobs Act uh, was um, is, 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 in, is in flow right now, 
You know, and that's that's how you know Twitter was. They follow S one. They 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 took advantage of that, and so a lot of companies are actually doing that. You have uh, that Candy Crush Saga company King. They they're actually taking advantage of that as well. They file their S one. They're looking. They're going public. Um, but now with crowdfunding and and the smaller entrepreneurs that are looking to raise capital, you know, with that with the Jobs Act, they still have to. They still pretty much have to put. They they can advertise it, but they have to actually put their their documents and everything in order. And again, if, I, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But do they have to? go and submit that information to the SEC before they well, go and market and advertise for Right. The- you know, I've looked more recently at the private crowdfunding offerings than I have with any changes to S1s, but, you know, basically I think a lot of the crowdfunding offerings that are not the donation model are really the Reg D you know, private placements that have gone through broker-dealers for years and are still limited to accredited investors. So I don't see a big change there. Uh, And certainly there needs to be lots of investor education that FINRA is is doing and will continue to do, I'm sure, to help non-accredited get involved if and when all that regulation comes about. But, again, I think you've got some of the traditional uh, 506-type offerings that um, are being implemented through the crowdfunding sites, many of whom have paired with broker-dealers. And so I think that's good that that there's more uh, visibility out there, even though it seems to still be uh, restricted to uh, accredited investors. I think that that could change soon. Right. Well, I think that education is definitely a big component in this because if you educate the masses, you know, I, I I believe that, hey, if someone had the opportunity to, and you know, get a couple of shares in, in one of these big uh, IPOs before they even were even close to doing anything, to be yeah. one of those, those original investors, you know, it, it would be something fantastic, you know, because then yeah. you'll have more people generating income, generating wealth, and Hopefully, you know, increasing commerce, increasing uh, things here, and, and having money flow. Uh, yeah. I think that you know we we need more we need more of that going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm I'm glad that Finra and the SEC are helping the investment public look out for fraudsters and scams because those people, you know, have come up. They represent a very small percentage of the you know investment community, but unfortunately, there are bad apples out there that need to be you know, uh, investigated. But on the other hand, again, look, there are many things that I can do legally um, that uh, that have less regulation. You know, we all know that when we turn 18 or 21, we have certain rights that, that we can even put our lives in jeopardy and do so legally. So why can't we spend some of our money to uh, get involved with some of these uh, new things that could really be exciting and and could be in line with our passions and interests. Uh, I think that more people need to think that way, you know, and you do have, yeah, you do have bad apples in in every industry. You know, you do have have people uh, that that go and they take advantage of of what's in front of them just to, to line their pockets. You know, and yeah. that and that, that that's where it's sad because you have good people 
that are trying to do good things like you, Brian. Uh, what, what you're doing there in Starlight, you are actually creating a vehicle for these, these young companies to get out there in a way normally they could not get out there. And you're right. putting them it's, in front of people that normally they would not be able to see. Yep, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, these days we're seeing so many great capital-efficient uh, companies that are coming out that don't need the kind of money that maybe the average business could have used uh, you know, a, a generation ago to accomplish similar goals. If somebody's starting a website and they've got a new uh, concept and they need some money to you know, buy some server space and do some initial marketing, that's really cheap. You know, we're not having to go out and buy apartment complexes or, you know, build skyscrapers to then house people and charge rents. This is really capital efficient. You know, I think that a lot of the businesses that have been built, like, you know, you've mentioned Facebook and Twitter. I mean, look at all the businesses that have been built out of the garage in the last, uh, you know, 10, 20, 25 years um, that with just a little bit of money turned out to be uh, really life-changing Opportunities not only for the investors but but for all stakeholders of a, of a company. Sure. So it's sure. it's an exciting time to to be uh, involved in business and investing and and enjoying the benefits of of creativity and innovation. But on the other side, some of that's getting stifled by an increase in you know regulation and taxes and uh, and things that 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 are hurting the uh, the economy and the environment. Right, and that that's where that's the rub. Because yep. you want you you want you want the entrepreneurial spirit to fly. You want tech, especially now with technology. You know, I yep. tell kids, you know, you're going to school. What should I take up in college? Take computer engineering, tech, technology, technology. Do that because that's the future, and you'll never go without a job. Maybe you'll come out and create something yourself, and yep. and, and create your own destiny. You know, it's hard yep. to do it when you when you kind of have when you follow what society is telling you to do because I I've always believed when you do that you know you're 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 you're, you're losing out on something you definitely yep. have to yeah well and again I I go back to the idea I talked earlier about barter um let's overlay that with a concept of of technology incubators you know there have been a couple generations of technology technology incubators that have come and gone and a lot of them rely on giving some chunk of money could be twenty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars to an entrepreneur. Give them a cubicle. Give them some support. Give them some uh, uh, business professionals like attorneys and accountants to help them grow. And I think cities who are trying to help uh, instill more entrepreneurism and new businesses are going to get on this concept of repurposing assets in their town and barter to do things like, you know, take that old warehouse or take that old apartment building and let's turn it into a place for, you know, young artisans and entrepreneurs to work and grow at very low or no cost until they get to a point where we can decide is this viable or not. If it's viable, well, then maybe a VC or some later stage investor will take them out and off they go. You know, if they're not viable, well, you know, they haven't been – unemployed on the streets. They've been doing some productive things, trying some new uh, ideas and concepts, uh, building social skills, 
developing networks and relationships with others that are going to serve them and that community well in the future. So I think we're going to see more communities getting on this idea of repurposing assets to help uh, entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and artisans grow and thrive. We saw that, for instance, in Iceland. There were a lot of uh, these groups that went into some of the uh, stores that couldn't be rented after the Iceland crisis, and now they're beyond, uh, you know, uh, the the low point that they were at, and things are really starting to uh, to do well there, and um, uh, hopefully uh, some of these uh, communities and even countries around the the world are going to see that barter is really big in Greece right now. So interesting trends. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to to keep our uh, fingers on the pulse of as we go forward. Yeah, no, I, I like that concept, and I think if more cities did do that, you, you have a lot of innovative young people that need that opportunity. You know, yeah. so if more with more governments, instead of imposing regulation, I mean, you need the regulation, but instead of, you know, holding something back, you know, create an incubator, create that. Yep. Let them go yep. out there. Let them go and learn how to fish. You teach yep. them how to fish, they're never going to go hungry, and they're going to help build the economy back. And this is when I'm glad you said that because you hit the nail on the head. You need to you need to nurture and yep. push it up. Because if you don't do that, then then you're you're going to wind up uh, losing out. Now, but but before I know we we went a little longer than we wanted to, uh, but this 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 conversation, the show has been great. You know, we've been touching on a lot of things that are important. Um, I want to get your opinion on what's, hap- what's going to be happening in, uh, I think, uh, a little over, what, four hours. <laughs> right, <laughs> this, quote, government shutdown. shutdown. I've got a couple thoughts on that. Um, number one, you know, whereas in the long run I'm a proponent of a smaller federal government, um, I would like to see that happen in a controlled way, not in an uncontrolled way. If uh, things really got bad uh, uh, quickly with this government uh, shutdown, um, that's going to destroy and erode trust in the market, in our economy, in our country. And uh, I'm, I'm really sorry and embarrassed that our congressional leaders and the White House haven't been able to avoid this. But on the other hand, I also think that the media is hyping how bad it's going to be. You know, when I read and hear from people about what actually going to be shut down, I don't think I'm going to miss those things, at least not in the short run. So um, so I hope this will give everybody in Washington a chance to think a little bit more rationally and logically and uh, come to an agreement on what we can do to live more within our means. Last thing I'll say about the, uh, the, the, uh, the shutdown, if, 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 if I could, is I hope that you and I and your listeners will make a commitment to, let's say, every day that the government is, quote, shut down, uh, that they will do something to increase their independence and their resiliency. Just one thing. Because mm-hmm. because by this, quote, non-essential shutdown, there are going to be services that aren't provided. So instead of, say, going to the um, Statue of Liberty tomorrow or instead of uh, going down to the IRS office and see what they're doing, let's use, let's use that day or a small portion of that day to do something to help us get a little bit more independent and resilient so that if there is a longer-term shutdown, we're a little bit better prepared. Yeah, 
I, I agree with that, and that, that's good feedback for sure. And I think that our listeners uh, should actually take that into account and you use this as uh, as a, an opportunity um, because I mean this can be a, a long term reality. Uh, I don't think it, 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 it's they're going to allow it to happen, but you know this should be a platform where people can actually go and get their independence back. They can go and you know be self sufficient in, in, in certain in certain ways. Okay, right. not be de- not be dependent on the on the government to come in and say, hey, we're going to go and do all this for you, or you can come do this. You know, you have to you have to stand on your own two feet and try to do things because that's going to help to trickle. That'll trickle down to other people. Absolutely. And, and, Even if and, they're just baby steps, and if all they do is put down on a piece of paper a list of everything that they're dependent upon in the society or by the government. And in the next column, what they could do over time with limited resources, you know, nobody has unlimited resources, to try to become more independent, I think that ought to create a lot of uh, good actions and, and healthy debate. Well, I think you're a prime example of that, Brian, with what you and your family have done. And it's, it's really interesting. I think our listeners definitely should uh, take a uh, lesson, uh, take a page out of that, that lesson book and utilize it to... Uh, to have a better life themselves, you know. You you increase you you better you have a better quality of life. You can have a longer life. You can enjoy it a lot more instead of you know. I mean, we're all used to the hustle and bustle, but you know you have to be able to shut it down and and kind of not get stuck in, right. in, that, in that bubble. And I think some people get stuck. I years ago I was stuck in that, but you get out of it and you. You, you increase your, your quality of life, and you know what? You're going to smile a lot more often. Yep. You'll be a happier happier person, without a doubt. Yep. Okay, now, uh, Brian, before um, before we end the show, do you want to uh, why don't you let our listeners know about November, give them some quick highlights. Uh, we have about 60 seconds, and then uh, you know, give the website so they can you know, find out more about the conferences. Yeah, thanks so much, Lou. That's great. As I say, we're going to have about 150 investors, 15 companies uh, pitching uh, their funding ideas to them. We go from 11 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the Yale Club in New York, um, and all that information is online at our website at events.starlightcapital.com. I've got my contact information there, so hopefully if they have any questions, they'll contact me, and uh, I look forward to meeting some of your listeners in person. Okay, that's fantastic, and I do urge anyone – that will be in New York at that time, and if, especially if you're, you know, you're an investor, definitely reach out uh, to Brian. Uh, if you are an entrepreneur, definitely reach out to Brian. And you know, you know, you 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 won't find a better situation out there to uh, be in line with uh, these investors, okay? Because I, you know, you have you have a lot of events out there, but this is more, you know, you're you're doing it and putting them in line there, Brian for them to uh, actually have a good end result. So I commend you on that, and I, I thank you for coming on the show. You know, well, we have to have you back on a little more often than uh, 12 months later, I think. Well, Lou, really, it's been uh, my my pleasure and honor. I appreciate your uh, uh, letting me uh, join you for this uh, hour, and uh, wish you the best, and uh, look forward to our keeping in close touch. Definitely, definitely. Brian, thank you so much. And again, for our listeners, that was Brian Emerson, Starlight Investments. Go check them out. 
and uh, make sure you're, you're with them in November for the conference. Again, Brian, thank you so much. Have yourself a great night. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Please relax. That word is good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up.